Good evening, if you will, please take your Bibles and open to Exodus chapter 3. That is where we will begin this evening. It is good to be here with you tonight. It is good to meet so many of you. I look forward to speaking with you afterwards as well, and I'm appreciative of the invitation to speak to you tonight. There is a theme throughout Scripture that is based on God's covenant relationship with His people. And we have this phrase that is reiterated a number of times throughout Scripture where God says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And that's a wonderful thought. But there's a problem and that problem is on our side of things and that problem is sin. Because sin keeps us from God. Sin keeps us from having that perfect relationship with God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 3 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue mutters wickedness. And yet, God still wants to be our God. And so we're going to look through the book of Exodus this evening. We're going to look at six passages that show us this pattern where God calls out to his people and says, come to me. But because of the people's sin, once they get so close, God says, that's close enough. Don't come any closer. We want to think about that this evening. So let's start in Exodus chapter 3 at verse 1. This is a passage we know well. It's a passage we've been hearing about and reading since we were little children as we think about Moses at the burning bush. Moses is out with the flock, and he sees this bush that is aflame, and yet it's not being consumed. He notices something is unnatural about that. And he turns to see, he even says to himself, kind of a curiosity in some biblical literature, how they talk to themselves so much. He says, I will turn aside and see this great thing. And when he turns aside, it says that God called to him, from the bush. So I want you to notice your first step there. God calls out for him. God wants Moses to come near. And as Moses approaches, God stops and says, that's close enough. You're standing on holy ground. Do not come near. In fact, take your shoes off. And so we already see this at the very beginning, this come to me aspect. God wants his people to draw near to him. And yet because of sin, we can only get so close. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19.
We could read this entire chapter and really drive home this point. But I do want to read a few passages here and there. We won't take the time to read all of it. Let's start at verse 1. Exodus 19 at verse 1. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of, of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. God is using Mount Sinai as a meeting place, as a place that he can go to the people that they can come to him. He says, I've brought you to myself. Well, in verses 10 through 15, Moses tells them the regulations. The regulations are very simple. Don't come near the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. You need to make sure there's a fence up and don't go anywhere near the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. And if somebody does touch the mountain, you don't even touch them. Stone them or shoot them through with an arrow. Do you see what God's saying? God is saying, come to me. But then God says, that's close enough. Look at chapter 19 at verse 16. Chapter 19 at verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Do you see that even the mountain itself says, stay away. You're close enough. God says, come to me. I brought you to me. But that is close enough. Moses goes up to God. And God says, go tell the people, don't come near the mountain. And Moses, I can just say, yeah, I already told them. You're right. We put up a fence and everything. I've already told them. And God says, go tell them again. That's how serious the presence of God is. That is how serious it is to enter into the presence of God with our sins. He says, go tell them again. They don't need to come near. Well, as they are encamped around Mount Sinai for quite some time. In chapter 24, we have a very interesting story. In chapter 24 at verse 1, then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So we see that God uh, invites a very select group we get Moses, we get the high priest, we get the high priest's sons. They're going to be the high priest after him, or at least that was the plan. And then the 70 elders, this very select group gets to come up to God. And then read with me verse 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Don't read past that too quickly. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven. 
for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. They got to go up and have a meal with God. And yet, there is still this division between God and the people. Come up, this select group, you're going to have a meal with me. And they go up and they see God, but they still don't see God in God's fullness. There is this stone, this clear stone pavement that is between them, so they still don't see God. And yet there is still the threat of danger. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. So there's still that danger in being in the presence of God. So again, God says, come to me, come have this relationship, come have this meal with me. But even then, all right, that is close enough. In this same chapter, in verses 12 through 15, Moses is invited to the top of the mountain. And he leaves Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. And he leaves the elders where they are and Moses alone is going to go up. He tells them, you have Aaron and her with you. If you have a problem, go to them. That didn't work out well for them. But that's another story. In verses 16 through 18, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. And in the sight of all the people, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So God tells Moses, all right, you finish the journey up the mountain. You finish coming up to me. And Moses is there. He's standing outside of the glory of God, outside of this cloud. And I find it interesting that God makes him wait six days before he can enter into God's presence. God says, come to me. And then he says, that's close enough. In Exodus chapter 33, the story we know so well, in verse 18, God says, or Moses says, please show me your glory. I believe it was the movie A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise said, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson screams back, you can't handle the truth. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, Moses, you can't handle my glory. So here's what I'm going to do. Because they were friends. Because they had this deep relationship. God says, here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock here. And I'll pass by and you can see just kind of the shadow, just kind of the, the, the back end of, of me as I pass by and I'll hold you there and keep you safe. And it's interesting as God does that in the next chapter, as God passes by Moses, Moses falls with his face to the ground. So even him wanting to see God so much and God saying, you can get close that's still close enough. And even Moses realizes it. And now Moses goes down to the people and his face is shining because he has seen just the smallest snippet of the glory of God. 
Then turn to Exodus chapter 40. As the tabernacle is completed, as they've collected all the materials, as they've put it together, as they've built this tabernacle, the whole point of this tabernacle was so that God could dwell in the midst of Israel. When you get over into the book of Numbers, you'll see the layout of the camp, and all of the tribes were going to dwell just like in a, a square pattern around the tabernacle, and God himself would be in their midst. That's the purpose of the tabernacle. So God is saying, come to me. But look at verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God says, come to me. Let me dwell in your midst. But then he says, that's close enough. Even the area around the tabernacle carried with it this idea. There was this idea of graded holiness that only certain people could approach the outside of the tabernacle or the temple that I have on the screen. And then only so many people could go beyond that. And only so many people could go beyond that. And then only the priest could go into the temple. And then only the high priest could go into the most holy place. Gentiles were allowed out here in the court of Gentiles. There was on this wall right here a sign. I know you can all read that very easily. It's languages we deal with. No foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary in the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall, be put, uh, shall he put blame for the death which will ensue. This was a warning to Gentiles. That's close enough. But if you were an Israelite, you could go past that fence. You could go past that wall. The women could even go into this area. It's in this area where the treasury was, where we see Jesus know the, the widow and her two mites. We know of that story. The men could enter into the court of the Israelites. Do you see how we're getting smaller and smaller of who is able to get close to God? The priest could go into the temple, but then the high priest, one man, one time a year under very special circumstances could go to God. God is saying, come to me. Let me dwell in your midst. And as the people go, God says, all right, that's close enough. Throughout the Bible, there are a number of stories where people wind up in the presence of God or God's representative, and they're afraid they're going to die. Some of these stories are rather humorous. The Israelites in Exodus 20, they hear God thunder from Mount Sinai and God speaks to them the Ten Commandments. And after the Israelites hear the Ten Commandments, they tell Moses, Moses, you go talk to God. We agree. Whatever he says, we'll do it. Just don't let him talk to us again. Otherwise, we'll die. That's how terrified they were to be in God's presence. It's interesting that in the book of Deuteronomy, God says that the Israelites had the right idea. He says, oh, that they would fear me for all time like that. 
They wind up in the presence of God and they're afraid they're going to die. You remember Samson's parents? The man by the name of Manoah, his wife is actually the one who speaks with the angel of the Lord. And she goes and tells Manoah what all happened. This is in uh, the book of Judges. And Manoah says, oh man, I want to see it. I want to see this. And so the angel reappears and she goes and gets Manoah and he comes back. All right, what's going on? I don't know if he trusts his wife or not. He just wants to hear it from the, the angel. And he says, all right, let's have a meal together. And the angel says, no, don't worry about that. Just offer a sacrifice to God. And so they offer this sacrifice to God and the angel goes up with the sacrifice and they realize who they've been talking about and they lose their mind because they recognize they had just been in the presence of the angel of the Lord. And Mrs. Manoah says, well, I guess if he had wanted to kill us, he would have killed us. And he doesn't. We find that being in the presence of God is a terrifying thing. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have this wonderful passage as as Isaiah sees this vision of God, as he sees the temple and the train of God's robe is filling the temple. And then he realizes, woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. You remember that's what I said is the problem in approaching God. The problem in approaching God is our sin. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And the seraphim gets the burning coal and comes and touches it to his lips and cleanses him. It's a very uh, clearly repeated pattern in Luke chapter 5. You remember the story where the, the fishermen fished all night, but they caught no fishes. We sing the song. So cast your net on the other side. And as they're bringing this net, this full net of fish up, Peter realizes what's just happened. And he says, depart from me. For I am a sinner. He recognizes who Jesus is. He recognizes that Jesus is God. Have the story over in Ezekiel chapter 1. This this strange chariot throne that God is on. What you get in these theophanies, these visions of God, are these grand descriptions around God. And so Ezekiel gets this grand description of this chariot throne. And when it comes to the description of God, we're kind of left with, well, he was really bright. Almost as if there's no human words to describe God. And when Ezekiel sees this, it says that he falls on his face. Almost like he just passes out. And then over in Revelation chapter 1... At verse 17, as John is describing the Messiah, as he is describing the lion from the tribe of Judah, it says that he fell down as dead. That is the nature of God. Let me just say this real quick. People who say they just want God to speak to them, they don't know what they're asking for. Because when God speaks, mountains quake. Oceans divide. And people think they're about to die. We need to be careful what we ask for. If we say we want God just to talk to us as if we're going to have a chat like with our buddies. And so we see this tension. We see a God who loves us. 
We see a God who wants to have a relationship with us. And it's been that way from the very beginning. He wants this relationship with mankind. And as we try to go near him, he says, that's enough. The reason he says that's enough is because to enter into his presence with sin is deadly and dangerous. Our sins put us in danger in the presence of God. That is why we have all these rules of holiness under the old covenant. That is why there's limitations on who can get close. That's why we have all these checklists to make sure we aren't struck dead as we approach God with our sins. This is the reason for the response to Nadab and Abihu when they offer strange fire. As they come close to God, as kind of the next level under Aaron, they approach God with this strange fire, and yet they were not careful. They go into God's presence with what God had not commanded, and they're struck down. And I can almost see this. As a parent, you can understand where Aaron's coming from, right? Aaron takes a step towards them, and you almost see Moses cut him off. Hold on. This happened so that those who are near me, God speaking through Moses, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. So there's our problem. We want to draw near to God. That's where life is. That's where blessings are. That's where eternity is. It is near God. We have no other options on this earth. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. There's no other hope for us. There's nothing else out there. There's not another train coming around that we can hop on. We have to draw near to God, and yet our sins make it so we cannot. We can only draw so close to God's presence. That is until Jesus died on a cross. And the veil of the temple is torn in two, making access to God possible. And further eroding the dividing lines between nations and groups who might wish to approach God. Ephesians 2 verse 14, as it discusses this, this dichotomy, this division between Jews and Gentiles, he says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And I can almost guarantee you that Paul has in his mind that fence that I showed you a minute ago with that sign that says any Gentile who approaches this place, you blame yourself for the death that's about to happen. God, in the form of Christ on the cross, tore that down. And now, because of what Christ did, we read a passage in James 4 at verse 8 that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We have this whole book that says, God says, come to me. That's close enough. 
But when Jesus dies on the cross, there's no longer the stay away. There's no longer keeping us at arm's length. Now there is draw to me and I will draw near to you. Now that doesn't mean we just get to live however we want, that we just get to go about doing the things that we wish to do. Christopher Wright in his commentary on Exodus says, it is at one and the same time Israel's greatest privilege and blessing to know the one holy living God and also their sobering awareness that Yahweh is not a God to be trifled with. We need to learn that lesson. That God had put those fences around Mount Sinai for a reason, that God has been keeping people at a distance for a reason, for their own safety. He is not a God to be trifled with. And so James continues, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we can draw near to God, but we still have to be careful. He is not a God to be trifled with. One more passage. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Parents don't say to their children, that's close enough, do they? Parents want their children to come to them. Unless you're wearing your Sunday best and you've been eating Mexican food and they have beans and cheese dip all over their filthy little hands and they're coming at you. At that moment, you might say, that's close enough. But God's even got an answer for that. Behold what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know, know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. No one has seen God as he is. No one has seen God and lived. Even those elders, there, there was that, that strange pavement stone above them, separating them from God. Moses had to have God's hand over him, had to be in the cleft of the rock. And yet when God appears, we will see him as he is. And then verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The God who for years said, that's close enough. Now stands at the door, knocking and asking to come in. The God who we couldn't approach before because of our sins, sent His Son to die the cruel death on the cross so that we could be 
pure as He is pure, so that we could be holy as He is holy. And He's no longer keeping us at arm's distance for our own safety. He wants to bring us in for our own safety. And now we have a decision to make. Are we going to answer the door? We serve a God who could break the door down. We serve a God who made the tree that the door is made out of. We serve a God who doesn't have to knock, and yet He does because He wants us to answer. He has extended the invitation. He has said, come to me. The question is, will we go to him? And if you're not a Christian, that's your only hope. There's nothing else coming to save us. As I said earlier, there's not another train coming around. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. And our boast had best be in Jesus Christ and him alone. And as God is at the door knocking. Ask yourself this question this evening. Will I answer? If there's anything we can say or do to encourage you to answer that door, to give your life to Christ, to, to have faith in Him and who He is, to be buried with Him in baptism and have your sins washed away. If we can do anything to encourage you, please let us know while we stand and while we sing.